in or the CD. We're ready to roll. Okay. We'll do our best today. I was telling somebody, go ahead, fire it up. I was telling somebody I'm kind of a half a man now. The, the, uh, the, these four fingers were hyperextended and busted up. And so I can use the thumb, but I can't move the fingers very well. And this hand, I don't know if you can see it. It's bruised all the way from here to here. But the thumb works and the fingers are going fine. This ankle, I twisted it really badly and it's really swollen. And I put a big bruise on the knee. This one, only the calf is bad. The foot and the knee work. So (laughs) this side, the teeth are loose and they hurt really bad and I can't chew and the mouth is all twisted up. On this side, teeth are great and the mouth is working good. So somehow I kind of kind of got to do this. I am I am literally half the man I was a couple of days ago. Okay, here we go. August 8, 2010, lecture discussion number 10 on the book of Romans. I'll repeat that again for all of those who listen by the internet. Uh, lecture discussion number 10 on the book of Romans. Saying that means that if you have not heard the first nine, going to be a tough day. I'll do my best, however, to back the bus up and find you if you fall off. And falling seems to be... Uh, uh, everyday thing nowadays. So here we go. What has happened to us? And that's a very important question to always ask, because what has happened to us is we were merely skipping along uh, through the book of Romans. And that uh, we smacked into a symbol by doing that. As you read Romans, you're going to smack into things. And we we smacked into the signal or the symbol that is the sign that is circumcision. So we ran into circumcision in Romans, comes up quickly in Romans 2. And frankly now, it's, it's essential, it's necessary to leave Romans. Every time this happens, this is what's going to happen to you. We're going to leave Romans and we're going to head off into a tall cornfield and disappear for a while. And we're going to search for those things that can solve the mystery that is the sign of circumcision. Before we can go any further in Romans at all. You can't keep going in Romans if you do not have circumcision solved. And so, therefore, that's what we're going to do. And that, by the way, is a reoccurring event, if you will. That's what happens for the student of Scripture, not the cursory uh, reader of Scripture, but for the student of Scripture, crashing into things, crashing into barriers is a common experience, something that you should expect to have happen to you. Essentially, you're obediently reading your Bible and you're minding your business and you're sometimes oblivious even. But what will happen is, is you'll slam into a mystery. Or a mystery will slam into you. In this case, it's circumcision. I watched this show, Wipeout. I like it. And so I equate this to that. Where unsuspecting contestants are navigating a course and then they're swapped upside the head. I really love Bill's story. I'm going to beat you until I feel better. I, I think. I think that's... Got to be in every parent's lexicon now. Anyway, the participants are universally uh, knocked or cast into the mud-filled water as they're trying to uh, navigate this little course. 
and then they have to slog their way back to where they were and start all over again. And that is analogous to the serious Bible study. You're going to constantly be, we're going to constantly be diverted uh, by Scripture, by barriers that God intentionally put in His Word in front of you. If you just go reading right through the book of Romans and you think you've got it, you're in trouble. You don't have it. I've had many people come up to me and say, I've read the Bible six, seven times. No, you haven't. You can't read it in a lifetime. And if you think you're reading it, you're fooling yourself. What you're doing is you're skimming through it. That has some value, and every all Scripture has great value. But we're not called to do that. We're called to be students and meditators and deep thinkers and prayers over Scripture. So you're going to continue as you study uh, backtracking and gathering information. Keys, if you will, that unlock doors. Because you're always running into doors. And when you open the door, you usually find a room, and what's filled in the room? What's all around the room? More doors. So all you do is go into one door, find a room. It's an interesting room. Lots of cool, fabulous treasure inside that room. But a whole bunch more doors. So off you go. And the book of Romans is is exactly like that. It's no different than all the other. How's my lip doing? Anybody watching it? It feels funny. I want to bite it off, but I tried that already. It didn't come out so good. Okay, Romans is no different than all the others. And to understand it correctly, you're going to have to become an expert right off the bat. You're going to have to become an expert. You can't go even into the first couple of paragraphs of Romans without being an expert in Habakkuk 2.4. That's where you got to go. Because the great thesis, as you know, of Romans, the just shall live by faith, is the quote of Habakkuk 2.4. So you have to know why God put, why God said, and he said it, the just shall live by faith in Habakkuk 2.4. Why he responded to Habakkuk that way. So the first thing you do is you become an expert in the book of Habakkuk. Now you're ready to keep going in Romans. So that was your first barrier. And then you have to deal with the Torah, or the law, if you will. And then circumcision, which is where we are now, which is a covenant sign. So in order, once you find circumcision, then you have to understand it's a covenant sign. You have to put it together with the other covenant signs, of which there are how many covenant signs of how many covenants? I'll help you. There's eight what? Covenants. And how many signs are there? Four. Which covenants have what signs? And circumcision is the sign of the Abrahamic covenant. So you've got to find your signs. Then you've got to put them to your covenants. You've got to understand why they're the signs of the covenants. You've got to put them all together with the other four covenants that don't have signs. And now you're ready to do what? Go another sentence, another verse in the book of Romans. That's what it's about. That's how it works. After you're done with covenant signs, you've got Adam typology or what's called federal headship. And, and, and on it goes. And I'm hoping that you have the Habakkuk key. Some of you don't. And that's okay. You missed the first nine. Most of the people next to you will pretend that they know what the Habakkuk key is. They don't really have it either. They're pretending better than you. So don't feel bad. But I hope that you have some of it. You understand why the just shall live by faith is in Habakkuk. And then... Uh, after that now, here we are, we're working on our circumcision merit badge. So, you get a little thing. Circumcision is a very, very big, very heavy key. 
Okay? It's huge. It's a huge key. If Habakkuk was a key about this big, circumcision is a key about this big. So if you have a key that you can barely lift, what do you think you're going to use it on? You're going to use it on a huge door. That's absolutely correct. A very big, very heavy door. And you can just imagine what that is. Now, hopefully you've caught on to my methodology. I'm attempting to stuff as many keys, call them elements, as I can into your little knapsacks as you're walking this little journey called Bible study. Why are you studying the Bible, by the way? We're commanded to do so. Why? Because it reveals who God is. Why do you need to know who God is? Because you don't want to have the wrong idea who God is because you may someday have to talk to somebody who lost a loved one. In fact, I've often said Christians need to go to funerals because we have the truth. We can explain things. We can explain how we're made and what happens at death. Very important. And you have to know who God is to do that. So I'm stuffing as many things as I can into your knapsacks as you study the Bible, as you go through this journey of life. And I'm taking you to places in the Bible where I believe the great truths are hidden where you can go into those rooms and find them. I know it sounds kind of like a video game, but I don't play video games, so I didn't get it from there. I believe great truths and wisdom are stored in your Bible, and and I'm trying to ensure you put as many of them as you can in your basket. How come I'm doing that? Because you're going to run into problems someday, and when you do, you're going to need that basket full of stuff. It's provisions. He did not promise you an easy life. He promised you peace. He promised you eternity. Didn't say it was going to be easy here. In fact, said the opposite. And I I know, because I've done this a while, that many will not take the time to sit down and inspect what they've collected. And that's too bad for them, but that's not my job. My job is Ezekiel 3.16. My job is to take you to the places and to show you where everything is. And then it's your call from there. You do not get, by the way, to point to me and say it's his fault. I'm not your attorney. I'm your guide, and I may not be that good. I don't know what the standard is, but I do know that I'm not going to take credit for anything other than that's where it is. Now it's up to you. The overwhelming majority of Bible readers are just that. They're skimmers and scanners and... And they don't inspect, and they don't examine, they don't have any awe, and they don't have any reverence, and therefore they don't have any wisdom, and they don't have any root system. And, and you know the parable. The heat comes, and the thorns come, and they get wiped out. They are defenseless. I didn't say they lost their salvation because they didn't. They are defenseless. They're blown about. They're to and fro. They're weak, and they're slaughtered. And there's two words that always go together, weak and slaughtered. If you're going to be weak, then you're going to be slaughtered. You can't separate them. My goal for you is that you're neither. I want you to have a sword instead of a baby bottle when you go out there. And and as you know, I taught high school many, many years. Bill was a principal here. I taught in the Christian schools many, many years. And the worst thing that you could get as a teacher in a Christian school is see your kids come back in body bags. And that's a symbolism. And that means they went off to college and they ran into... Some professor who tore them to pieces. And that's a real shame because he's got a little pea shooter. 
you have an aircraft carrier. And for him to tear you to pieces is ridiculous. But it happens. Weak and slaughtered. So, that's what we're doing. So far, we've been to Habakkuk. We went through really fast, I know. But at least you know this. Romans requires Habakkuk. It's your Habakkuk. Put it in your bucket. Maybe you don't know what it is, but you've got to know it's there. And then last Sunday, Genesis 17, 1 through 4, a circumcision. And I also went through that very fast. It's the sign of the Abrahamic covenant, and it says essentially this. Every male must be circumcised. Genesis 17, 26, 27. Let me read it to you. That very same day, once Abraham found out that cir- what circumcision was, that very same day, Abraham, 99, he's 99 years old, was circumcised, and his son Ishmael, and all the men of his house, all the men of his house, born in the house or bought with money from a foreigner, were circumcised. As soon as Abraham knew what it was and understood what it meant, off he went to make sure he was circumcised and everybody in his household circumcised. Abraham knew what circumcision meant. He knew what it symbolized. He understood the connection to Genesis 3.15. He knew how it fit with Adam's typology or Adam's federal headship. He knew the difference, by the way, between Adam's two decisions, because Adam has two decisions. Eve only has one decision. He understood why the entire world was affected by Adam's decision and why only Eve was affected by her decision. He got all of that because he knew Adam wasn't deceived, 1 Timothy 2.14. Never think that Adam was deceived in that story. You start out with Adam being deceived, you got problems. He was never deceived. Now, who was trying to deceive? Satan. How smart is Satan? Ezekiel 28. Filled to the brim with wisdom, he is described. That's a cup. I have a cup. That's a nice cup, huh? And it's filled to the point where it is almost about to overflow. That is the wisdom of Satan when he was created. Satan did not deceive Adam, 1 Timothy 2.14. Adam understood the what and the, I'm sorry, Adam, Abraham understood the what and the why of circumcision and how circumcision fit beautifully, perfectly with the Abrahamic covenant of promise and grace. Because ultimately the book of Romans is about the just shall be saved, the saved shall get eternal life, by grace. That's what the just shall live by faith means. Live means eternal life in that sentence. The saved will have eternal life through grace, through faith in Jesus Christ. That is the thesis statement of Romans. That is why Paul quotes Habakkuk. And Abraham knew that circumcision is the perfect sign of the covenant of promise, which is the Abrahamic covenant. It is not a covenant of works. It is not a covenant where man does anything. It is a gift, a grace covenant. So, perhaps you've got that all figured out, and I hope you have. And if not, we're going to move on. Because we have the next. I'm running out of things and places to write on. I'll work it out. After we are done with Genesis 17, then the natural place you go... Is where? Because we're going to study what? Circumcision. After I'm done with Genesis 17, which is the Abrahamic covenant, which is essentially the first. You can keep going in Genesis 17, but that will get it done. That's number one. Where do I go next? Because I'm studying circumcision. That's where we start. That's the first mention. That's the sign of the Abrahamic covenant. And we understand what circumcision is. 
We understand how it ties into Adam. We understand that the seed of the woman is the promise, and that's how it all works. And if you weren't here last week, you can buy the CD for, okay, it's free. You get it off the Internet, too. iTunes. Cliffside Community Chapel. Old, very unattractive man. Disfigured face. Speaking on circumcision. Now, after I'm done with Genesis 17, where do I go to understand circumcision? And the answer is Genesis 34. And Genesis 34 is what? That is the Dinah incident. So now, that's what we're doing. In order to get circumcision... You have to go talk about the Dinah incident. And I've done Genesis 34 three, four, five times now. How many of you have been here? This is kind of a newer group. How many of you were here besides Bill and Bonnie? Okay. Besides the front row, the front row is wonderful. That's why you sit in the front row. Second row is not bad. Not bad. Why do the other people sit in the back? Well, they don't like my jokes, you're right, but they're closer to the buffet table, and everybody got to be here a while to know how that works. Okay, but I've done Genesis three or four times. I'll try to add some things in that I leave out, uh, knowing that I have to keep going back over it. Um, so please be patient for the new folks, and let's all start it together. So open your textbooks up to uh, Genesis 34. It's on page 65. Okay, or thereabouts, and let's read together the Dinah incident, which is about what? What's it about? Circumcision. That's what it's about. We're learning about circumcision. Now Dinah, the daughter of Leah, whom she had born to Jacob, went out to see the daughters of the land. And right off the bat, you've got to start asking questions when you're reading this stuff. A lot of questions right there. I'll get to them in a minute. But you should be thinking to yourself, what daughters? Obviously not relatives of hers. Why would she want to see them? How far away did she go? How long did it take her to get there? How did she get there? Anybody go with her? Bunch of questions, right? Okay. Now Dinah, the daughter of Leah, whom she had born to Jacob, went out to see the daughters of the land. And when Shechem, what's the question? What's he doing in the land? Who's this guy? How did he find her? Right? All those questions. And when Shechem, the son of Hamar, the Hivite. Okay, you got to stop. Can't go any further because why? You've got to figure out what is a Hivite. A Hivite because Hivite is the key to that entire beginning. If you understand who the Hivite is, if you know what a Hivite is, you're going to solve circumcision. So let's go find out. We're going to stop right there. Let's go to Joshua 9. Because we've got to stop. Here's a barrier. Like I said, you run into barriers. If you're not running into barriers, how you doing? Not good. Not good. If you're flying through the Bible, you're going to land on a ladder pretty soon. And it came to pass, Joshua 9, and it came to pass when all the kings who were on this side of Jordan, this is where the Israel, the second generation of Israel out of Egypt is about to enter the Canaanite uh, promised land and kill everybody in it, right? 
They had already done a little of that, and now they're ready to keep rolling through. So, that's what the context is. And it came to pass when all the kings who were on this side of the Jordan in the hills and in the lowland and in all the coasts of the great sea towards Lebanon, the Hittite, aha, the Amorite, the Canaanite, the Parasite, and the Hivite, and the Jebusite heard about it. They heard about Israel coming through slaughtering people. That they gathered together to fight with Joshua and Israel with one accord. But when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and I, they worked craftily. In other words, all of them got together to say, we got to fight. Except one group said, no, we're not going to fight. The Gibeonites. And they came up with a deception, a plan. Now look who they are down here in verse 7. Then the men of Israel. So they got this plan, by the way, where they got their donkeys, they got torn clothes, they got a bunch of old stuff, a bunch of old moldy bread. How is this going to work, by the way? This shouldn't work. This shouldn't fool anybody. And then they went up and said, hey, we're not in the land. We're following you guys. We're rooting for you. Go, Israel, go. Kill those guys that are in the land. We're not in the land. And see, we got a bunch of old moldy bread. That should prove it to you. Who would buy that? But it works. And Joshua signs a covenant, a promise to them. He promises them that he won't kill them. Cool. Then they go back to where they live, which is in the land. But I got their piece of paper. And as I said last week, here's how you spell. Oh, here it is right here. Here's how you spell Joshua, essentially. Yeshua or Yahshua. It is the same exact name that we would say Jesus. So clearly Joshua is representing, he is a type of, he is picturing Christ, and he makes a promise to somebody. That's a big deal. If he says you can't kill him, you can't kill him. So the Gibeonites, the ones that make this pact, they're the Hivites. Now you go to 2 Samuel 21. And for those of you who have not been to Second Samuel before, it's after First Samuel. That's how you find it. Thank you for laughing, those of you who are eating already in the back row. Why, the front row people say, when we get to the buffet, there's hardly anything left. Looks like somebody ate it already. Trust me. That's why we have cameras. Second Samuel 21, David avenges the Gibeonites. Now, there was a famine in the day of David for three years after year after year. And David inquired of the Lord and the Lord answered, it is because Saul and his bloodthirsty house, because he killed the Gibeonites. OK, Saul killed the Gibeonites. And when you kill the Gibeonites, it makes God really, really upset. And he sends a famine, and he's wiping out Israelites because Saul killed the Gibeonites. You don't kill Gibeonites. Why don't you kill Gibeonites? Because the Gibeonites have what? They have a piece of paper signed by Yeshua. You don't need to kill them. So the Gibeonites are the same as the Hivites. And that's the key to this. Hivites equals Gibeonites. Very important to understand circumcision. The only way you're going to put circumcision in your bucket is if you... Oops, I skipped the page, I think. No, I didn't. The only way you're going to put circumcision in your bucket is to understand that the Gibeonites and the Hivites are the same people. The people in the Dinah incident show up again in Joshua 9 and show up again in 2 Samuel 21. Okay.
Here we go. We're still reading. Genesis 34. And when Shechem, the son of Kabar, the Hivite, prince of the country, saw her, he took her and lay with her and violated her. Took her is very important. He took her. Okay? His soul was strongly attracted to Dinah, the daughter of Jacob, and he loved the young woman and spoke kindly to the young woman who he took and raped. So he is a nice rapist. Does that make any sense to you? So Shechem spoke to his father Hamar, saying, Give, get me this young woman as a wife. whole bunch of questions there. And Jacob heard. Oh, there's another question. How far away is she? She just got raped and she is kidnapped and she's held. She's in the, in the concubine area of the prince of Shechem, a Hivite, who later becomes a Gibeonite, who you can't kill because they got a fake treaty. It's real. They, but they faked it. They're faked it to get the real treaty, and you can't kill them. If you do kill them, they hang you. Or at least your descendants. They hung seven of them, and Rizpah chases the birds away. That's what's going on. Got it? You got to have that in order to do what? Understand circumcision. See how easy this is. Anyone can do this. Can anyone do this? Uh-uh. Who can do this? Saved people can do that. Saved people can understand the Bible. If you're not saved, you won't understand it. Many people come to me and say, I don't understand. The first thing I say is, are you saved? Oh, no. Well, then you're not going to understand it. Who teaches it to you? Holy Spirit does. How did Jacob hear? And Jacob heard that he had defiled Dinah, his daughter. Now his sons were with his livestock in the field, so Jacob held his peace until they came. There's some key information. Then Hamar, the father of Shechem, went out to Jacob to speak with him. And so Jacob and the king of the Hivites, if you will. Now, how big big an area we're talking about, how significant they were at that time is up to debate. But let's assume there's at least four or five hundred of them, maybe even more. Then Hamar, the the father of Shechem, went out to Jacob to speak with him. And the sons of Jacob came in from the field when they heard it. And the men were grieved and very angry because he had done a disgraceful thing in Israel by lying with Jacob's daughter, a thing which ought not to be done. But Hamar spoke with him, saying, the soul of my son Shechem longs for your daughter. Hey, the rapist kidnapper really likes your daughter. Let's work this out. Because he loves her. The soul of my son Shechem longs for your daughter. Please give her to him as a wife. Fathers with daughters. What's the chances of this happening? And make marriages with us. Oh, by the way, I got a whole bunch of guys just as good as Shechem here. Why don't we hook up with them too? Now, this is Far Eastern culture or Middle Eastern culture. So it's a little different than what we think. But I still, it's not that much different. And make marriages with us. Give your daughters to us. Really. And take our daughters to yourself. First thing I always thought when I read that is, what do their daughters look like? (laughs) I can only imagine. He seems really anxious to do this. And so I got a feeling I'm not liking the deal. We're going to take your daughters. We'll give you ours. 
So you shall dwell with us. The land shall be before you. Dwell and trade in it and inquire possessions for yourself in it. I always ask another question. Obviously, Jacob doesn't feel comfortable fighting right at this time. His sons are gone. He doesn't have his he doesn't have his his uh, his warrior class with him. He doesn't feel like he can handle them. What are the chances? This is like a church, uh, what we call a church. Oh, fell on my head way too many times. Two churches combined, right? One church is a couple of thousand. The other church is 250. What's going to happen? Yeah, it's, it's not. It's the Borg. You know, it's really not a combining. It's an, an you know, it's an assimilation. It's a swallowing. So this isn't an equal thing. So this argument or this discussion they're having isn't on equal footing. Then Shechem said to her father and her brothers, there's something that should open your eyes right there. Let me find favor in your eyes. All I did was rape your daughter and, you know, take her. I still got her, by the way. I'll give you a couple, you know, I'll give you a couple hundred bucks here. Let me find favor in your eyes. See, this is extraordinary what he's saying. And whatever you say to me, I will give. Ask me ever so much dowry and gift, and I will give according to what you say to me. But give me the young woman as a wife. That's interesting. But the sons of Jacob answered Shechem and Hamor, his father, and spoke deceitfully. Because he had defiled Dinah, their sister. And they said to them, we cannot do this thing to give our sister to one who is uncircumcised. This whole story is about the sign of the Abrahamic covenant, circumcision. And so you can't understand this story unless you understand Habakkuk 2.4. And unless you understand the sign of the Abrahamic covenant and why circumcision of all things God could have picked, he picked the one that is perfect. Isn't he lucky? Circumcision is the perfect sign of the Abrahamic covenant of promise and grace. We cannot do this thing to give our sister to one who is uncircumcised, for that would be a reproach to us. But on this condition, we will consent to you. If you will become as we are, if Every male, that's right out of Genesis 17 language. If every male of you is circumcised, then we will give our daughters to you and we will take your daughters to us and we will dwell with you and we will become one people. But if you will not heed us and be circumcised, then we will take our daughter and be gone. And the words pleased Hamar because Hamar thought he was dealing with stupid people. Where it's pleased Hamar and Shechem, Hamar's son. So the young man did not delay to do the thing, the circumcision, because he delighted in Jacob's daughter. He was more honorable than all the household of his father. Now, that's extraordinary. Of course, honor is a relative thing. That is the most honorable kidnapped rapist of the group. But nonetheless, it's still in Scripture. That's amazing. 
And Hamar and Shechem, his son, came to the gate of their city and spoke with the men of the city, saying, These men are at peace with us. Therefore, let them dwell in the land and trade in it, for indeed the land is large enough for them. Let us take their daughters to us as wives. And what are they going to do with their wives, by the way? And let us give them our daughters. Only on this condition will the men consent to dwell among us to be one people. If every male among us is circumcised as they are circumcised, will not their livestock, their property, and every animal of theirs be ours? Again, a church merger. One church gets the tables and the sound system. Never mind, I'm being funny. Only a few of you know that that's funny. You know it's funny, don't you, young lady? Yeah. The other church gets the four o'clock service. That's how it works. <laughs> I'm kidding. There's cameras in here. <laughs> okay. I'm on the Internet. I'm going to get caught. So clearly it must be a joke. I am stunned by that, by the way, what you people will put on book face and all that stuff. It just stuns me. Oh, sorry. Sorry. <laughs> I think I got it right. <laughs> An old basketball coach, aren't I? Okay. And all who went out of the gate of the city heeded Hamar and Shechem his son, essentially because they saw great potential value here, didn't they? Every male was circumcised. Again, it's right out of Genesis 17, 1, 14. Abraham went out and every single male was circumcised. All who went out of the gate of his city. Now, it came to pass on the third day when they were in pain, and two of the sons of Jacob, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brothers, each took his sword and came boldly upon the city and killed all the males. And they killed Hamar, and they killed Shechem, and his son with the edge of the sword took Dinah from Shechem's house and went out. And they took all their stuff, says so. They plundered them. And Jacob was really upset. He said, you have made me an obnoxious You've made me obnoxious, and we're just going to be massacred by the rest of the inhabitants of Canaan. But they weren't because God put a spirit of terror in them. Okay, and so Israel was protected. But he, Jacob was convinced that the other countries or the other kingdoms would gather against Israel and slaughter him and destroy his household. That can't be true, though, could it? Because of the Abrahamic covenant. So I sped it along because I'm down to 17 minutes, 48 seconds left. It's almost over. Okay, let's go quickly now. Dinah gets taken and violated. So what do we do now? We ask the obvious questions and we piece together the evidence. And clearly this is a very complicated passage, especially so when one studies the descendants of these that are portrayed here in Genesis 34. Again, central to this story is King Saul of Israel kills Gibeonites and God defends them. He avenges them. Seven are hanged, as I said, Second Samuel 21. I have a woman driving off birds of the hanged men. That is an extraordinary, complex story. And tracing the Gibeonites through the Old Testament and finding them and seeing who they become and what they become and what they do, noting the honor that God places on them. He gives the Gibeonites, who are the descendants of these guys, Shechem and Hamon, he gives the Gibeonites a place of great honor. And, and it's extraordinary. It's a very important piece to, to understand all of this. It's the Paul Harvey rest of the story 
uh, kind of thing here. It's critical to find the rest of the story. Genesis 34 is the beginning of the Gibeonites. Joshua 9 is where they come up with the, uh, with the sneaky little treaty contract idea. How did they know the Israelites would go for it? They're the descendants of these people that were massacred by the Israelites. They just watched Israel slaughter Jericho and destroy the king of Ai. And he had a great thing, by the way. He had something, the king of Ai, made him very, Ai actually, made him very powerful. And they still killed him. This is disgusting. That makes my wife proud of me right there. She wasn't looking. Oh, yes, she was. Genesis 34 is the beginning of the Gibeonites. Joshua 9 is the middle of the Gibeonites. And 2 Samuel 21 is the conclusion of the Gibeonite story. And they are honored by God in Scripture. He avenges them. And they are the descendants of these slaughtered, kidnapping rapists. That's who they are. And they somehow have this incredible place in Scripture. Okay, so once again, there's three parts of a whole there. Genesis 34, Joshua 9, 2 Samuel 21. And you have to put all three parts together in order to learn about what? Circumcision. The meaning of the symbol that is circumcision. And hopefully you noticed that this is all about circumcision. Genesis 34 is not about the rape and captivity, the kidnapping of Dinah. Genesis 34 is about circumcision. The promise of peace through circumcision. Israel told the uh, Hivites or the Gibeonites that they would have peace if they would just become circumcised. Okay? The promise of forgiveness through circumcision. They would be forgiven if they would just all be circumcised. The promise that they would dwell together. They would have reconciliation. They would have community if they would only be circumcised. Are you beginning to see what this is about. And the promise that the Israel gave them was what? It was a lie. They used circumcision instead of giving peace and promise of forgiveness and, and reconciliation. They gave death with circumcision. And they lied and they deceived with circumcision. And God was not pleased. Because of what the symbol of circumcision means. So, the very first obvious question is, why would the Gibeonites of Joshua 9 want a treaty with people who slaughtered their ancestors? Peace with these lying, deceiving killers. And irony, this is so ironic, it abounds in part two of the story. The Gibeonites are the liars and the deceivers. The first story, Israel is the liar and deceivers, and they want to kill the Gibeonites. But the Gibeonites want what? Want what? They want a treaty. They want to live in peace. And they lie and deceive to live in peace. And by the way, they didn't bring up circumcision. The second time around, the two confront each other, they reverse roles. And they're kind of related, aren't they? Because Israel took the Hivite daughters. So if I did DNA tests, I'd find out that the descendants of the Hivites and the Israelites are very close. Of course, we're all very close. But now back to the obvious questions. Why was Dinah venturing out to see the daughters of the land? Have you ever had a teenage girl slip out a window and go find other teenage girls? That ever happened? And you told them, didn't you? Don't do it. Nothing but trouble. Stay here. Don't go. 
We don't really know how old she is, but we're going to take that on a minute. Did she go alone? What was the probability that Dinah was alone? What do you think? Detective? Pretty high. I think you can make the case that she was probably alone. Shechem, the son of the king of the Hivites, second or obvious question number two, or B, for those of you following along on the Internet. Shechem, the prince, kidnaps and rapes and assaults Dinah and then holds her, presumably against her will. I imagine that would be the case. But then this strange development that's there in, the, in Scripture, his soul is strongly attracted to her. What's the obvious question? How's that happen? I have probably a serial rapist here. You what? You think this is the first one he's got? No. But now his soul is strongly attracted. He loved the young woman. That's what the Bible says. Is the Bible right about that? Oh, yeah. He spoke kindly to the young woman. How does a rapist kidnapper speak kindly to somebody? He, wants, he tells his father, get me this young woman. So obvious question. How young is Dinah? He calls her young woman, young woman, young woman three times. How young is she compared to him? He's called a young man, by the way. I want to know how old is the young man. In Scripture, you're not allowed to study the book of Ezekiel because you're not smart enough until you're age 30. That's what the Bible says. Don't touch it. You can't handle it. So how young is he? He's below 30. I want to know how young is Dinah. If a young man calls Dinah a young woman, how young is she? Why does Shechem need permission from Hamar? Has he done it before? How many other girls are in here? How many of them survived it? I want to know, this seems to be really breaking the mold. It appears to me that I have a pattern of behavior, but this time it's different. He asked his father to, to go negotiate a marriage. Why? Why not just keep her? And Jacob has to hold his peace, remember? Why does he have to hold his peace? Clearly he needs his sons. He's outnumbered, isn't he? Outgunned, if you would. He couldn't rescue her himself because his, his sons are out in the field with the flocks. They finally hear about it. You know he's sending messengers and they come in. And Hamar comes to speak to Jacob. How do you think Hamar came? Just Hamar? No. He comes fully loaded, doesn't he? What's he expecting? I just took out the daughter of the patriarch of this tribe. Well, what's the chances I'm doing good? Hamar comes to speak to Jacob, knowing full well that Jacob was unable to respond to his show of force. And Hamar is making it clear to Jacob that he can keep Dinah really easy, not a problem. You, can't, you can bring your sons, I got you outnumbered, it's not even close. And Israel knows it, doesn't they? They know they can't take these guys on. Too many. Too good. We've got to have a plan. We've got to kill them with circumcision. What an odd thing to do. To us, not to them. How many people in this, in this conversation that's going on knew what circumcision meant? You have to ask that. Hamar is making it clear that Jacob... To Jacob that he can easily keep Dinah. Shechem shows up and he's acting strangely. This time, this time, 
This time, he wants to keep and marry the girl he rapes. Obvious question. Why? Why this time is it different? What does he want her for? What has gone? How long has he had her, do you think? How long do you think it took to get all this done? Why wasn't she killed? How many others have there been? How many others have survived this? You'd imagine, Hamar, my son is acting really weird this time. He loves this girl. This one. He wants me to negotiate a marriage. Why would I do that? Hamar speaks to the sons, asks permission for Shechem to take Dinah as a wife and proposes intermarriage. Obvious question. Why ask for permission? Why not just come in there, slaughter them, take their daughter? You know, he's in trouble, right? I mean, in the sense that he's at war. Why not just ride in, kill them all, take the daughters, take the stuff? Why doesn't he want to do it? What's stopping him? And this is the key thing, I think. Shechem is at the meeting. I want you to consider that for a moment. The man who rapes and kidnaps your sister slash daughter comes in person to negotiate how much money they will take for Dinah. What will they sell her for? That's very odd. Again, why bother? Obviously, Shechem has no fear of Jacob or the brothers. I mean, he's come himself. Eh? How much money do you want to make this right? Dad, how much money will you take to make this right? Why is he doing it? Why is Shechem behaving this way? It's out of his characteristic. Then the Bible calls him more honorable. Why does the Bible call him more honorable? Because he can't wait to do something. What is it that he can't wait to do? To be circumcised. He can't wait to be circumcised. He runs to be circumcised. He wants to be circumcised. Now, that's a fascinating turn of event. And the Bible calls him more honorable because of that. Did he know what circumcision meant by this time? As soon as they said, hey, gentlemen, the key to this is you're all going to have to be circumcised. What's the obvious question that every man in the room asks? I don't think so. And if I got to know what's going to happen here, I got to know what this means. They explain to him, they have to, they have to explain to him what circumcision meant. And he can't wait to do it. And he is called by Moses, by the Holy Spirit through Moses, more honorable. Because he wants to be circumcised. How does a rapist kidnapper Go to get to this point. Gets him killed. But how does he get here? To where he's described. How do the Gibeonites become honored by God? They do it every time. He runs to be included in the nation of Israel. What happens in Joshua 9? They don't fight. They come up with a trick in order to be what? Included into the nation of Israel. Why do they want to be included into the nation of Israel? They know something. 
that the rest of Canaan doesn't know. They believe something the rest of Canaan doesn't believe. How did they get there? Now they're there and Saul is killing them. Do they leave? They don't leave. Why do they stay? How did they get there? How did they go from a band of rapist kidnappers to the Gibeonites? They understood circumcision. The brothers have a plan. They use circumcision. They, they're going to use the sign of the Abrahamic covenant as a means to kill. Why did they do this? Why did they pick this? How did they know it would work? And they knew it would work on the third day. They knew they could walk in there, two guys, slaughter two, three hundred men on the third day. Nobody would fight. Nobody could fight. Look, I just fell off a ladder. I used to tell my basketball teams, okay, there's 12, 14 of you. You want to see who's coach? This is how we'll do it. All 14 of you attack me. I will leave two survivors to go and testify what happened to the other 12. And I will be coach. And I will find 12 more. And they believe me. They still believe me. Occasionally, a couple of them come to church here. They'll testify about the 12. <laughs> that are still buried in the wrestling room. Anyway. Why did they do this? How did they know it would work on the third day? They walked in there boldly on the third day. They knew the whole army of Hamar. And I recognize them going a little longer. Just stick with me here. We only have a third of a page left. We're almost done. Musicians are walking forward. It's almost time for buffet. How did they know that on the third day, two guys could kill all these people? They knew that circumcision was going to go bad. So that makes it obvious, doesn't it? Who performed the circumcisions? Who knew how to perform circumcisions? They did. With what instruments did they circumcise? Who provided the instruments? What do you think the sterilization procedure was like? They knew how to get that, that entire army shut down in three days. And that three days, by the way, is a big deal, isn't it? A big deal. You see three days in the Bible, and that's a sign of Jonah. How did Simeon and Levi know when to attack? That's a key question. And notice Shechem is called, as I said, Holy Spirit through Moses, most honorable. He was the first. He delighted in Jacob's daughter. How come? What made her different? What did she know that made her different? Because this one he loved. This one he delighted in. This one he wanted to be circumcised how did, how did this happen? What kind of person is Dinah? And notice that this at peace with us is in here. These men are at peace with us. And as I said, Jacob calls himself an obnoxious smell, a stench. And he said the rest of the nations will gather around and surround Israel and they will seek to kill them. Notice that. Typology, right? The nations surround Israel and seek to kill them. Oh, every single day. Not a day goes by. That means when they make that kind of noise, that it is time to rise to be dismissed.